Amen. And if you're a guest with us, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning at Wayside Chapel. We're working our way through the letter from James, and we're in chapter 2 from verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, 14 to 26. Um, it is kind of a controversial passage. In fact, uh, when they... Um, when they were trying to decide on the canon, that is, which scriptures were inspired and would be included in the Bible, James was one of the last ones to be approved because it stresses works. And whereas as most of the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, stresses faith. And yet we see in this letter that James is not denying faith. He's just saying faith results in works. If you have faith, it's going to change you. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read this passage to you? Chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for their body? What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So today we're looking at a passage that gave Martin Luther fits. He did not like the book of James, uh, at least at first, and he called it a pile of straw. <laughs> Martin Luther he was a devout Catholic, uh, probably one of the sincerest Catholics that ever lived. But I'll let him tell of his conversion in his own words. I'm going to just quote what he wrote here. He's, he wrote, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certain, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if 
Indeed, it's not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. And at last, the mercy of God mediating, meditating day and night, I'm sorry, it's medi yeah, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. You see, Luther was trying really, really hard to please God with his good works, with his study, with his meditation and his memorization and how he lived as a monk. And yet he knew he was still destined for the judgments of a holy God. You know, it's really sad that more people don't feel the same conviction that Martin Luther felt. But today it's more likely that people don't realize that they're sinners but he had this great conviction, an overwhelming conviction. And that conviction caused him to search for an answer in God's word. And he finally found it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It's no wonder then that he saw little use for the letter of James, especially this passage which asks if faith can save us. Martin Luther would have responded, you better believe it can. Anyone who came out of a religion of works discovering faith in Jesus and what he's done for us saves us and would probably say the same thing. But that's not what James is addressing in his letter. Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion and James focuses on after conversion. As Douglas Moo has pointed out, Paul denies any efficacy of pre-conversion works. In other works before salvation doesn't do anything. No credit from God. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. In other words, James is saying, after you have faith and you come to Christ and you're born again, there is going to be works. James is writing to the churches that have scattered into the Roman world to, to remind them that the world needs to see a difference in us, us who have faith. 
He's also warning those in the church who enjoy the friendship and the atmosphere of the church, but who have deceived themselves because their lives aren't any different from the unbelievers among whom they live. His letter is very applicable to the comfortable, entertaining Church of America. He challenges us to ask ourselves if our faith is truly genuine. Does it result in acting differently from our increasingly pagan culture? Are our hopes set on what this world can offer? Or are they set on our Lord and Savior? Verse 14 through 16, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James starts with two questions which in Greek, uh, the way it's worded in Greek, require a negative response. Can faith save him? And Martin Luther says, yes, it can. But James is addressing the claim to have faith apart from works. He'll pair faith and works 10 times in this short passage. And he'll thoroughly explain what he means. Luther's transformed life showed that though the question would have irked him, Luther's life, his transformed life, was an example that faith does indeed result in works, proving the validity of James' argument. His changed actions and belief showed there was a difference. Works did follow. If you ask Luther if his attitudes and actions had been changed since he came to faith that Christ had done it all for him, he would say, absolutely. The next question is a very practical one, and it points back to the previous passage where it was written, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So this goes back to the royal law. We saw that in the previous uh, passage the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself, royal because the king, King Jesus, told us that on this law and loving God with all, are all hang all the law and the prophets. So if your brother or sister in Christ is poorly clothed and malnourished and, and you say, hey, have a nice day, I'll pray you get your clothes and, and I'll pray that you get some food. What good is that, James asks. Do you think that perhaps God may have brought that brother or sister in Christ into your life because he's given you what they need? And would that not fulfill the royal law, being God's merciful hands and feet to them? You have an opportunity to be a blessing and to be blessed in the process. Do you believe Jesus' words? that it's better to give than to receive. Amen. The Apostle John wrote that if we have this world's goods and see our brother in need and don't have compassion, then the love of God is not in us. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he was implying that the Levite and the priests violated this royal law. 
of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that helpful Samaritan, despised by the Jews, was not considered a brother, as in this passage. Perhaps James was bringing up a real situation he'd heard of in those churches in the diaspora, those ones that were outside of Israel. He did already mention this preference of the rich over the poor. And, and I want to insert here something that I've been benefited from. It's not directly addressed in this, but I think it's applicable. When you lend to a brother or sister who is in need, and it may be a larger amount, and they may be promising to repay you. Actually, I learned this from my mother. She said, never expect it to come back. Because if you expect it to come back and it doesn't, you're going to harbor bitterness in your heart. And maybe unforgiveness. And it's always going to come between you and that person. So when you give or lend, quote unquote lend, lend with the attitude that if it comes back, praise God. If it doesn't, it's okay, I trust God. So verse 17 and 18. So also faith by itself does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So here is James' conclusion. The faith that doesn't act really doesn't have life. You could say it's not really faith at all. In verse 18, he equates the word faith to belief. Now, faith and belief are very similar words, but with a different nuance. James is saying that if we think of them the same and we say to ourselves, I believe in Jesus. We need to be aware that the demons believe in him. The one on the shore of Galilee said, we know who you are, the son of God. That doesn't mean by faith you have received the forgiveness that he merited for you on the cross. Ron Kess goes up to NAU and he meets many students who believe Jesus was a good man. Some even say he, he was the son of God. But after showing them the gospel right in the scriptures, they come to have a faith in what Jesus did for them on the cross. They go from mere belief to receiving faith and forgiveness. When James is saying, what he's saying here is that faith is believing that accepts and applies God's word to our lives. I've heard the testimony of pastors who believed in Jesus, who believed the gospel, but did not come to faith until they'd been preaching for years. Hebrews 11 is a chapter on the actions of faith. One of the actions is realizing that this world is not our home. We can say we believe it, and yet our hope is still placed in what the world has to offer. Faith longs for our heavenly home, the glorified presence of Jesus, the hosts of heaven, the saints made perfect. 
if that's where our hope is placed, we might lose the things that God's blessed us with, the things in this world, but we'll be at peace knowing that we still have what matters eternally. There are churches that try to claim they have works, but deny the faith. The author of Hebrews calls those dead works. That's what Luther had before his conversion. He was trying to please God without God. <laughs> he was trying to do it on his own as if any of us could be good enough for God. And the change that happened by faith made his works prompted by the Holy Spirit. James is asking those attending the scattered churches to be sure that they truly have faith. What changes has faith brought about in our lives? Is it real? Has it resulted in a new perspective in our life? And our values. James says he can show us his faith by his works. That is the evidence that faith is real. But he asks if we can show him faith apart from our works. And no, we can't. For real faith results in works that glorify God. Verse 19, you believe there's God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Are you saved if you believe Jesus died for our sins and, and rose from death and that he's one with the Father? After all, the scripture says if we believe in the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. But James says, hold on. The demons believe and they shudder. And that word in the Greek actually means um, literally to bristle like a cat, you know, when it's in danger and its hair stands up. To believe in the fact of Jesus is very different from repenting and accepting Jesus as our Lord, which is the way in which Paul would have used the word when he would say believe, would write believe. We can take a single scripture and wrongly interpret it in a way that contradicts other scriptures. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that we must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. Um, belief is followed by action. That's different from believing in our head, a, a fact in history, or, or like the demons, believe in bristle and terror, but you know you're living still in rebellion towards your creator. Like the feeling that Luther had. James' point is that simply acknowledging something is true doesn't mean you are born again. But accepting him as your savior and the Lord of your life results in changes in the way that we think and act. You know, Jews throughout the Old Testament, throughout their history, tried to please God by obeying the 613 laws of Moses. That's what they were supposed to do. But most of them did not realize that it was faith that pleased God and that the laws were their, for their benefit to show them their need of a savior. They asked Jesus what good work they needed to do to please God. And Jesus told them the work of God was to believe on the one 
he sent. In other words, Jesus was saying, you want to do what God's uh, God work, uh, one of those eternally lasting things? Believe in me, Jesus said. If they would believe by placing their faith in Jesus, the good works would follow normally, naturally, like, like fruit growing on a fruit tree. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, the ones that Jesus was inviting into the kingdom, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. In prison, you visited me. They said, when, Lord? They didn't even realize they were doing it because it was part, just the fruit. The, the fruit tree doesn't go, I'm trying to grow some fruit here. It just happens. It's the way it's made. And when you're a new creation, that work of Christ in you naturally comes out of your life. You've seen people come to the Lord here at Wayside and be baptized. You've watched their lifestyle change. Even their appearance changes. And definitely what they proclaim is totally different. In Christ, our mind is renewed by the word of God, and that results in our worldview changing, along with our very purpose for living. Verses 20 to 23. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So James is asking, you need proof that faith results in works? Do, do we want him to show us? He says, take a look at Abraham. He's our example. Was he justified by faith or works when he obeyed God and put his son on the altar? Faith resulted in the action of obedience. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from dead. That's because he believed the promise that God gave him that through Isaac he would have descendants that numbered like the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed God. But if Abraham didn't take Isaac up Mount Moriah and prepare to slay him, how could we say he had that kind of faith that was counted as righteousness? Abraham believed God, but not with his head only. It wasn't like he was saying, oh, yeah, God, can, God could raise him. Maybe, I think. But the kind of belief that gets up early in the morning has the wood prepared and heads for Mount Moriah with Isaac. And before they ascended the mountain, he told the servants that he and the boy would come back to them. That was his conviction in the word of God, that God would raise him. It's the voice of faith. And the reason he's called the friend of God, he acted on what God told him to do because God was the Lord of his life. He doesn't just believe that he is, but also that he is to be trusted and obeyed. The faith that obeyed was counted as righteousness. That's what it means to place our faith in God. 
Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So James clarifies in this verse what he means. Faith alone is not really faith. It may be belief in your head, but not something you're willing to act on. Is the faith that act, it's the faith that acts that is genuine. That's the kind of faith by which we're justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. When we truly believe in our hearts that Jesus died in our place for our sins so that we could have life in him and then let that conviction transform our behavior, then we can be sure we are justified, meaning that we are right with God. When we stand before him on that day, we know we will not be condemned. Jesus preached that some would come on that day of judgment and say all kinds of wonderful things, but they didn't know him. That was the difference. They believed he was the son of God and they quoted of all the works that they did, but what was their motivation? Was it to be pleasing to man, to have the respect of man? The ones that Jesus invited into his kingdom were those who helped those in need, not even realizing what they were doing the Father's will. Verse 25, and in the same way was not Rehab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them another way? I like what James did here. You know, he, he's kind of thinking, well, Abraham, everybody knows Abraham. He was special. So he says, yeah, what about the pro Gentile prostitute? Let me use her as an example, just in case you think Abraham's too holy for you. Let's go to a Gentile prostitute and talk about her. Joshua sent two spies into Jericho and they lodged in the house of Rahab who confessed that their God was more powerful than the gods of Jericho. She heard the testimony of all that God had done for the Israelites through the wilderness and she confessed that their God was more powerful. The, the God of Israel was more powerful than their gods. And she risked her life to hide the spies from the officials who were looking for them. And then she helped them escape. And because of that faith resulting in works, she ended up in the ancestry of Jesus. That was not because she simply thought in her head the Israelites will win. It was because she knew they would. She placed her faith in their God. She cast her life upon their God, betting her life by her actions, and that is living faith. Verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Revelation 12, 11 tells us, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Salvation is evidenced by a new creation. When Satan says we really aren't saved, we point to Jesus shed blood for us. And if he insists our faith is not real or effective, the word of our testimony which includes 
the change in our life or works as James is calling it here is the evidence that we are indeed conquerors through Jesus. Our testimony includes not what led us up to faith, but also how that faith changed our daily lives. As someone has said, faith and works are like the two wings of a bird. Both are needed to fly with the wing of faith and the wing of works resulting from faith, we can soar. James makes this final declarative parallel. If your spirit leaves your body, your body's dead. In the same way, faith apart from works is dead faith. In other words, it's only an idea, one you're not quite sure of, and one that does not change your behavior. I believe there's no such thing as being visited by extraterrestrial creatures other than angels, good or evil, but that doesn't change my behavior. It's just something I personally believe. I don't expect anyone else to believe it. It's not important enough of an issue to change my behavior in the least. On the other hand, I believe that God created me with the purpose of glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Amen. And that changes my whole outlook on life. It changes how I act and what I say. It changes my attitude toward every circumstance. Because of that, I can declare my faith is alive like Abraham and Rahab's faith. It's for everyone who will embrace what Jesus has done for us. In Martin Luther's introduction to Romans, he attests to the very thing that James declared here. He wrote, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it's impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do but before the question rises, it has already done them. And it's always at the doing of them. He who does not these works is a faithless man. So you see, Luther and James were in total agreement. James has challenged us again in this passage to see if our faith is real. Has it changed our speech? Has it changed our outlook on life? And what about our attitude toward others? Now we all have a lot of room to grow, amen? That wasn't a very hearty amen. We all have a lot of room to grow, amen? <laughs> but has the change begun in you? Can you see a difference since you came to faith? And if so, rejoice and press on. Jesus wants us to join him in the wonderful things he's doing in the world. And if not, if your faith isn't real, if you recognize there's been no change, like Abraham, you are invited to be a friend of God. In John 15, 14, Jesus tells us that we are his friends if we do what he commands. And the only way we can do them 
is to let him do them through us. The first command, as I quoted earlier from Jesus, is to believe on him. Faith, trust in God to do his works through us. And what a privilege it is to be an instrument of God. There's nothing more joyful, nothing more satisfying than to let Jesus work through us. Jill, would you close us in a song and then I'll give the benediction. <laughs>